China's leader set state visit to Russia. By Vivian Wang, Lara Jakes, Anushka Patel, Eric Schmidt, Nick Cumming, Bruce Matthew, Pope Big. Xi Jinping, China's leader, is expected to hold talks with President Vladimir V. Putin of Russia next week in a meeting that could have broad implications for the war. Here's what we are covering. She will visit Russia next week to strengthen ties, but also for peace. Slovakia follows Poland in pledging warplanes for Ukraine. The leaders of Turkey and Finland are expected to meet amid speculation over a NATO bid. Ukraine is burning through artillery shells in Bakhmut, which could jeopardize any spring push. A UN panel says Russian officials could be charged with crimes against humanity as well as war crimes. Salvaging the drone that crashed in the Black Sea presents big obstacles, experts say. She will visit Russia next week to strengthen ties, but also for peace. China's top leader, Xi Jinping, will travel to Russia to meet with President Vladimir V. Putin next week in a visit that could have broad implications for Moscow's war in Ukraine and the troubled relationship between Beijing and Washington. Mr. Xi is expected to make a state visit to Russia from Monday to Wednesday, China's foreign ministry and the Kremlin said in statements. It will be his first visit to Russia since the country launched its full-scale invasion of Ukraine more than a year ago. Mr. Xi's trip will be watched closely by leaders in the United States and Europe who are frustrated with China's diplomatic and economic support for Russia. Although the two nations have not declared a formal alliance, Beijing maintains deep strategic ties with Moscow as a like-minded nuclear-armed power that seeks to weaken Washington's geopolitical dominance. Just three weeks before Russia's full-scale invasion of Ukraine, Mr. Putin visited Beijing, where the two leaders declared a no-limits friendship. In recent weeks, the Biden administration has warned that China is considering escalating its support for Russia by providing weapons for it to use in Ukraine, an accusation that Beijing has denied. Mr. Xi and Mr. Putin will meet on Monday afternoon for a one-on-one -on -one conversation and lunch, and the two leaders will also hold a news conference, said the Kremlin spokesman, Dmitry S. Peskov. A Chinese foreign ministry spokesman, Wang Wenbin, said that Mr. Xi would use the visit to increase the mutual trust and understanding between the two countries, which he said had established a new paradigm for international relations. At the same time, China would seek to play a mediating role between Russia and Ukraine, he said. President Xi Jinping's visit to Russia this time is also for peace, Mr. Wang said when asked whether Mr. Xi would try to push Mr. Putin to seek a political settlement with Ukraine. China's proposition can be summed up in one sentence, which is to persuade peace and promote talks. He also implicitly criticized Western nations' tough approach to punishing Russia, saying that unilateral sanctions and extreme pressure would only worsen the crisis. The Kremlin said that talks between Mr. Putin and Mr. Xi would center on the comprehensive partnership and strategic cooperation between the two countries. China has cast itself as a rare neutral party well positioned to negotiate a political settlement between Ukraine and Russia. The country recently released a position paper calling for an end to the war, but the document was widely criticized by Western leaders for lacking concrete plans and avoiding demands that could hurt China's close ties with Russia.
Mr. Xi has sought to burnish his image as a global statesman, most notably with the announcement last week that Beijing had brokered a surprise deal to restore diplomatic relations between Saudi Arabia and Iran. That agreement came after extensive talks in which both sides had expressed a willingness to mend ties. Mediating in the war in Ukraine would be a far greater challenge, with neither Ukraine nor Russia appearing ready to negotiate an end to the fighting. It is unclear whether Mr. Xi will also meet or speak separately with President Volodymyr Zelensky of Ukraine. On Thursday, the foreign ministers of Ukraine and China spoke over the phone in a rare official contact. Dmitro Kuleba, Ukraine's foreign minister, said the two discussed the principle of territorial integrity. China said its foreign minister, Qin Gang, told his Ukrainian counterpart that Beijing would continue to play a constructive role in bringing an end to the conflict, mitigating the crisis and restoring peace. Mr. Qin said China was concerned the conflict was dragging on and could spiral out of control. He urged both sides to exercise restraint and resume peace talks as soon as possible, according to the ministry, while referring to the situation in Ukraine as a crisis rather than a war. Mr. Wang, the foreign ministry spokesman, did not directly answer when asked if the foreign ministers had discussed potential contact between Mr. Xi and Mr. Zelensky, saying only that China continued to maintain communication with all parties. Jake Sullivan, the White House National Security Advisor, said on Monday that the United States had been encouraging Mr. Xi to speak to Mr. Zelensky, in part to discourage China from supplying Russia with arms. It would potentially bring more balance and perspective to the way that the PRC is approaching this, Mr. Sullivan said, using an abbreviation for the People's Republic of China. And we hope it would continue to dissuade them from choosing to provide lethal assistance to Russia. In addition to the war in Ukraine, Mr. Xi will also discuss with Mr. Putin how to continue strengthening cooperation between their countries, Mr. Wang said. Asked whether Russia and China would seek a formal alliance, Mr. Wang said they were interested in a new type of major power relations. This is completely different from the practice of some countries, which cling to a Cold War mentality, gang up, engage in small circle and factional confrontations, and bully all over the place, he said. Ivan Nechapurenko contributed reporting. David Pearson and Vivian Wang Slovakia follows Poland in pledging warplanes for Ukraine. The government of Slovakia said on Friday that it would send 13 Soviet-designed fighter jets to Ukraine a day after a similar announcement by Poland's president, marking a possibly significant shift from NATO allies in increasing arms supplies for Kyiv. Slovakia, which borders both Ukraine and Poland, had said months ago that it was ready to send MiG-29 fighter jets to Ukraine. Promises must be kept, Slovakia's Prime Minister, Eduard Heger, wrote on Twitter. He did not specify the timing of any delivery. The news came a day after a surprise announcement by Poland's president that his country would send for MiG-29 jets to Ukraine within days, a move that appeared intended to open the door to more advanced warplanes from NATO allies. These would be the first warplanes sent to Ukraine by a NATO country since Russia launched its full-scale invasion last year. The Kremlin on Friday brushed off Poland's pledge of MiG-29s, saying the jets would not affect the war's outcome and reiterating an oft-repeated line that they would only cause more trouble for Ukraine's people. All this equipment will be subject to destruction, the Kremlin spokesman, Dmitry S. Peskov, told reporters at a regular briefing. 
It seems that these countries really want to dispose of their old unnecessary equipment this way. Ukraine and its Eastern European allies have been pushing for advanced jet fighters, particularly the American F-16. The United States has expressed reluctance, though senior officials have said that the administration had not ruled out deciding later to provide them or, more likely, working out an agreement to allow another country to send them. At least for now, the United States was standing its ground. The pledge by President Andrzej Duda of Poland doesn't change our calculus with respect to F-16s, John F. Kirby, a White House spokesman, said on Thursday. He said that Mr. Duda had not spoken to President Biden about his plan. The Biden administration has resisted sending American fighter jets in part because it would take too long to train Ukrainian pilots for military operations underway. It could also prove risky, given Russia's air superiority. There are still many questions about how concrete Poland's plan was. Poland first pledged to send its fleet of 28 MiG fighters a year ago, and the country's defense officials had been saying recently that they would only send warplanes as part of a coalition with other countries. On Thursday, Mr. Duda said Poland would transfer four of the MiG warplanes to Ukraine in the next few days. Ukrainian pilots are already trained to fly MiG fighters, so the planes could be put into action quickly. With Russia expected to mount spring offensives, the push to provide more sophisticated weapons has been picking up pace, particularly in Europe's former Soviet Eastern Edge, which has been especially vocal about opposing Russia's aggression. Other countries have signaled openness to providing fighter jets. Last month, France said it had not ruled out sending fighter jets to Ukraine, though President Emmanuel Macron laid out conditions, including that they not be used to touch Russian soil. Prime Minister Rishi Sunak of Britain said last month that his country would train Ukrainian pilots to fly NATO standard jets and suggested that he was open to eventually sending planes. Poland first said it was willing to give its fleet of MiG-29s, thought to number around 28, but not all operational, to Ukraine a year ago, on the condition that the United States would replace them with more modern American warplanes. The plan never came to fruition. But Poland is still one of the largest donors to the Ukrainian war effort when its support is measured against the size of its economy. On Thursday, Mr. Kirby praised Poland for really punching above its weight when it comes to supporting Ukraine. Ivan Nechipurenko contributed reporting. Andrew Higgins, Matt Sermon and Lara Jakes. The State of the War A shortage of weapons. Ukraine and Russia are running low on ammunition and are scrambling to replenish their stocks and gain a competitive edge. Cyber attacks Microsoft said that a hacking group with ties to the Russian government appears to be preparing new cyber attacks on Ukraine's infrastructure and government offices. U.S. Drone a Russian warplane struck a U.S. surveillance drone over the Black Sea, in the first known physical contact between the Russian and American militaries since the war started. Kherson Three months after Ukrainians celebrated the expulsion of Russian forces from it, the city remains very much a war zone. Advertisement The leaders of Turkey and Finland are expected to meet amid speculation over a NATO bid. Finland's president is expected to meet with the Turkish leader on Friday amid speculation that Ankara is set to ratify Finland's NATO membership and bring it a big step closer to joining the alliance.
Finland and Sweden were spurred by Russia's invasion of Ukraine to drop their military non-alignment and seek expedited membership in the alliance, which requires unanimous approval from member countries. Finland and Sweden had pledged to enter the alliance hand-in-hand, but Sweden's application has been held up by President Recep Tayyip Erdogan of Turkey, creating the possibility that Finland could join without its Nordic neighbor. Both Mr. Erdogan and Finland's president, Sali Ninista, suggested this week that a declaration was coming soon, with the two leaders set to meet later on Friday. The talks will focus on the geopolitical situation, bilateral relations as well as Finland's and Sweden's NATO memberships, Mr. Ninista's office said in a statement. Earlier this week, the Finnish leader had said that it was known that once President Erdogan has for his part made the decision about Finland's NATO membership, he would wish to meet and fulfill his promise directly from president to president. Mr. Erdogan on Wednesday dropped his own hints about a potential announcement. When reporters asked whether the Turkish parliament was prepared to ratify Finland's membership after Friday's meeting, he replied, God willing, if it is for the best, according to the Associated Press, adding that Turkey would keep our promise. The comments have strengthened signs that Finland could wind up joining NATO without Sweden, a possibility that the Swedish Prime Minister, Ulf Kristersson, acknowledged at a news conference on Tuesday was increasingly likely. Sweden's bid has been particularly tied up by Ankara's objections that the country needs to take a tougher tack against Kurdish separatists it considers terrorists. Turkey also wants some Kurds extradited from Sweden to face terrorism-related charges. Finland, which has Europe's longest border with Russia, will continue to support Sweden's efforts to join NATO, Mr. Ninista said on Wednesday. Whether or not Mr. Erdogan announces Turkey's approval on Friday, Finland's bid still requires ratification from Hungary, which has slow-walked the issue. A parliamentary session scheduled for next week was expected to include a vote on both Finland and Sweden's bids, but it appears likely to be postponed again, the AP said this week. Hungary has used its veto power within the European Union over sanctions against Russia to try to secure concessions on other issues, and now appears to be doing the same thing over Finland and Sweden joining NATO. Johanna Lemela contributed reporting. Anushka Padel Ukraine is burning through artillery shells in Bakhmut, which could jeopardize any spring push. The Ukrainian military is firing thousands of artillery shells a day as it tries to hold the eastern city of Bakhmut, a pace that American and European officials say is unsustainable and could jeopardize a planned springtime campaign that they hope will prove decisive. The bombardment has been so intense that the Pentagon raised concerns with Kyiv recently after several days of non-stop artillery firing, two U.S. officials said, highlighting the tension between Ukraine's decision to defend Bakhmut at all costs and its hopes for retaking territory in the spring. One of those officials said the Americans warned Ukraine against wasting ammunition at a key time. With so much riding on a Ukrainian counteroffensive, the United States and Britain are preparing to ship thousands of NATO and Soviet-type artillery rounds and rockets to help shore up supplies for a coming Ukrainian offensive. But a senior American defense official described that as a last-ditch effort because Ukraine's allies do not have enough ammunition to keep up with Ukraine's pace and their stocks are critically low. Western manufacturers are ramping up production, but it will take many months for new supplies to begin meeting demand. 
This has put Kiev in an increasingly perilous position, its troops are likely to have one meaningful opportunity this year to go on the offensive, push back Russian forces and retake land that was occupied after the invasion began last year. And they will probably have do it while contending with persistent ammunition shortages. Natalia Yermak contributed reporting. Thomas Gibbons Neff, Laura Jakes and Eric Schmidt. Advertisement. A UN panel says Russian officials could be charged with crimes against humanity as well as war crimes. Geneva, United Nations investigators have concluded that Russia's widespread use of torture in Ukraine and its strategy of bombing the country's energy grid could be grounds for charging Russian officials with crimes against humanity, which are considered even more serious than war crimes. Human rights investigators have previously condemned instances of Russia's indiscriminate bombardment of civilian buildings, schools and hospitals as war crimes, and the International Criminal Court has opened two war crimes cases against Russia, focusing on the deportation of children and Russia's bombardment of Ukraine's civilian infrastructure. But on Wednesday, a three-person commission of inquiry created by the United Nations Human Rights Council last year said in a report that Russian missile attacks on energy infrastructure since October, leaving millions of people without power, heat or water, could also amount to crimes against humanity. And Russian forces' use of torture against civilians and prisoners of war in occupied areas may also amount to crimes against humanity, on the ground that their use was systematic, occurred in several different regions of Ukraine in sites intended for that purpose and showed a degree of planning, the panel said. The 18-page report echoed many of the findings in the panel's preliminary assessment last September, but was able to go into greater detail on patterns of abuse. The report drew on findings made during eight trips to Ukraine, visits to 56 towns and communities and interviews with 595 people, as well as on satellite data. The commissioners said their attempts to establish meaningful communication with the Russian authorities had no success, although they noted that a Russian government department had referred some material to them. Their findings and a list of individuals linked to abuses will provide additional ammunition to intensive Ukrainian and international investigations aimed at holding Russia to account for its actions after invading Ukraine just over a year ago. Among the abuses the report enumerated was the use of torture, which the commission said was prevalent against certain categories of people, particularly serving or former members of Ukraine's armed forces, as well as local officials, employees of the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant and civilians with pro-Ukraine views. A common Russian torture technique, known as a call to Putin or Call to Lenin used military phones connected to electrical cables to deliver shocks to feet, fingers and genitals. Other methods of torture, the panel said, included rape, as well as hanging detainees from the ceiling with their hands tied, strangling them with cables and suffocating them with plastic bags or gas masks. Some victims, they said, had witnessed fellow detainees being tortured to death. In other cases, the torture of prisoners was followed by their execution. Russian troops who conducted house-to-house -house searches as they took control of areas also raped women at gunpoint, with extreme brutality and torture, the panel reported. The commission said it documented sexual violence against women, men and girls aged from 4 to 82. The commissioners said Russia's transfer of children and other civilians from Ukraine to Russia may amount to a war crime, observing that none of the cases they investigated were justified under international law. 
Ukraine has reported the transfer of 16,221 children to Russia, but the commission said it had not been able to verify the number. Separately, large numbers of children were moved from areas occupied by Russian forces to so-called vacation camps in Crimea and inside Russia with parental consent, they noted, but Russia required parents to travel in person to collect them and many had been unable to do so, raising fears of permanent separation. The commissioners said they had also documented a small number of violations committed by Ukrainian forces, which also included war crimes. These ranged from two cases of torture and indiscriminate attacks they believed were carried out by Ukrainian forces using widely shunned cluster munitions and butterfly mines in attacks on territory occupied by Russian troops. Nick Cumming Bruce Salvaging the drone that crashed in the Black Sea presents big obstacles, experts say. Moscow will face formidable obstacles if it tries to retrieve the wreckage of a U.S. Reaper drone that crashed into the Black Sea after a high-altitude collision with a Russian fighter jet, maritime rescue experts said on Thursday. The operation could take weeks and cost tens of millions of dollars, they said. And just locating the drone might not be easy, given that it is most likely scattered on the seabed. The initial challenge is finding it, said Ian Butterworth, a lawyer and engineer with extensive experience in maritime salvage operations. It may be broken up into a number of pieces. With currents, it could be over a significant area. The Ukrainian military reported unusual Russian naval activity in the Black Sea on Thursday, with ships deployed in a way suggesting that they were searching for the drone, which crashed on Tuesday after an incident involving two Russian jets. A successful salvage could be used by Moscow for propaganda purposes, but Dmitry S. Peskov, the Kremlin's spokesman, said that Russia's military would only raise the drone if necessary for security reasons. The drone would most likely have a beacon, but it was unclear whether Russian vessels would be able to gain access to its signal, given that it was a U.S. military aircraft, Mr. Butterworth said. The Pentagon has said that the drone's wreckage would be of limited military value. The next challenge is the depth of the water. The Pentagon said that the drone crashed around 75 miles southwest of Ukraine's Crimea region, which Russia annexed illegally in 2014. General Mark A. Emily, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, said that the drone went down in waters 4,000 to 5,000 feet deep. That depth, the equivalent to approximately five Eiffel Towers standing end-to-end, is far beyond the range at which commercial divers can operate. As a result, underwater robots, called remotely operated underwater vehicles, would have to be deployed. The devices, widely used in the offshore oil and gas industry, often have a claw that can be used to grab onto objects. They would probably send many subs to locate the things, hook it and winch it up to the surface, said Anthony Desbrouses, the director of Marine Recoveries, a marine liability insurance firm. You have to collect pieces, using different sling systems, with as little impact as possible. He said. You are going to winch something from more than a kilometer down, so there will be currents and waves. Any winch would need to be attached to a vessel and, to prevent it from moving in the water as the slow process unfolds, it would need to have a dynamic positioning system, which involves engines and satellites, to keep it stable, said Mr. Desbrouses, who has extensive involvement with marine salvage. 
such systems are also widely used in the offshore energy industry and a prerequisite to any rescue attempt would be assembling the right team of experts as well as an array of complex equipment. That would probably take weeks and the costs could rise to tens of millions of dollars, the experts said. Any salvage could also be delayed by bad weather. Russia most likely has the expertise for this kind of operation, Mr. Butterworth said, though the fact that the operation would take place in what is effectively an active military zone would make it more difficult. Moscow also had prior experience of high-profile underwater salvage operations in difficult conditions, though not all had been successful. No survivors were found aboard the Kursk, a Russian Navy submarine that sank in around 360 feet of water in the Barents Sea in 2000. The submarine was eventually salvaged.